Okay, it's working. Hey, how's it going? Thanks a million for checking out my brand new podcast. It's called What the Feck is Going On? And I suppose I should start by giving you a little bit of information about myself. Mike Hogan is my name. I live in Dublin. I work in Dublin as a producer and a presenter in a radio station. And a couple of years ago, I did a podcast and I had an absolute ball doing it. I have an absolute ball doing radio as well. But I really enjoyed doing the podcast too. And I've wanted to get stuck into another one. I suppose I've been waiting around for the right idea. And I think I have it. Although, at the end of the day, you're going to be the judge of that. And here's the idea. I'm quite an inquisitive person. And every day I find myself about either a new story or something quirky I've read online going, what the feck is going on? What the feck is happening with that anyway? It could be out of a conversation I'm having with someone as well. And I suppose these days with Google at our fingertips, I just can't let it go. I have to Google everything. And... You end up going down a wormhole of article after article after article and eventually trying to come up with an answer. So this podcast is based on that theme. And what I'm going to try to do is explore various topics that I feel people are going, what the feck is going on with that anyway? So this first episode is based on donuts. It's all about donuts. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm sure many of you have, there has been a boom in donut shops around Dublin. I read recently that donut shops are popping up around Cork as well. So it's not only in Dublin, it's all around the country. You've got Boston Donuts, the Rolling Donut, the Dublin Donut Company. Uh, You've got Offbeat Donuts, Anger Danger. They're everywhere. And I had a conversation with someone recently and we got talking about it and we were like, how are they all staying in business? Where did it come from? Why donuts? Why now? Why Ireland? And I couldn't answer it. I did a bit of Googling. Yeah, there's a bit of information there, but I wanted to get out and have a chat with some donut specialists, I suppose, people who know the donut world. And I want to genuinely figure out why donuts have become so popular in Ireland and are they going to stick around? Because there is such a thing as food fats and they've come and they've gone, but the donut thing has been here for a few years. So I want to basically know what the feck is going on. So the first person I had a chat with is a really nice person and a really good business person too, and that's Hilary Quinn. Hilary Quinn owns the Dublin Donut Company, and they're really popular. And if you Google Dublin Donuts or if you Google Donut Shops in Dublin or whatever, you're likely to get Dublin Donut Company coming up front and centre. I've seen loads of tweets about them. I've seen Instagram posts about them before. I've heard about them. People have told me they're amazing. So I contacted Hilary Quinn and thankfully she agreed to sit down with me. Bearing in mind, by the way, this is the first episode. So I'd like to really thank everybody who spoke to me on this subject because I had to ring them and I had to say, Hiya, Mike is my name and I'm thinking of doing a podcast and the podcast is called What the Feck is Going On. And usually in radio, I'd say, here, you know, listen to previous stuff I've done or listen to previous stuff the show I produce is done or whatever I had nothing I don't have anything I had to explain to everybody that this is the first one please trust me I think this might be a good idea and I'd love for you to sit down and have a chat with me and thankfully Hillary and the rest of the guys that speak to me in this uh, did so and I have to give them credit for that like that's very cool uh, so Hillary Quinn owns the Dublin Donut Company she has a kitchen she doesn't have a, a shop per se she has a bakery and the bakery is at the back of a very famous pub in Dublin called the Bernard Shaw so I met Hillary Quinn in the Bernard Shaw pub and we had a cup of coffee because they do lunches and coffee and tea and all the rest of it there it's not only just a pub I suppose it's more of a pub at night time uh, but I met Hillary in there for a cup of coffee and a chat about the Dublin Donut Company and about what the feck is going on with the explosion in donut popularity in Ireland. 
So basically, it came to me one night. Um, I was on my J1 in San Francisco, and I just visited a friend who was working in a shop called Donut Dolly. And I couldn't stop thinking about it after I left. I was like, wow, that's a really sweet idea. I got home. I was, you know, sleeping on a couch. I was kind of couch surfing for the summer, and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, right, I'm going to go home after this. I'm going to open a donut shop. Um, so I kind of come from a small business background, and my mum was a home ec teacher, so I was always going to do something in food and something kind of enterprising. So that's really how it started. Very cool. So it's pretty popular now. Um, you don't mm-hmm. exactly have a shop set up, am I right in saying? Right. So what's your story now? How many, say, would you produce a day, and how successful has it been for you? It's been pretty successful. Like I really hit the ground running with it, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, It really took off for me. Um, I don't have a shop, which is it's an interesting business model. I distribute to independent stockists around the city, so I kind of pair up with brands that I love to work with or that I admire some feature about their business. So they're, they, they, they're the guys that really keep me going. And then I have my private customers as well in a huge wedding business. I mean, it's nonstop for the summer. So it's like those three combined makes for a really busy week, despite the fact that I only bake three days a week. So we just do the weekends, which we found were really popular times. Um, as I always say, the diet starts on Monday, so nobody's going to eat a donut on a Monday morning. Well, I was. <laughs> Talk to me about the, the origins of this trend I suppose and where you kind of fit into when you came along and set Dublin Donut Company up did you notice that there was a boom in it or were you the beginning of that boom I suppose I'd like to think I was the beginning of it I started back in it was September 2014 when I came back from America so at that time there was no donut shop as such as we see today and there was no what I'd like to call artisan donuts in Dublin so I found that that was the niche that's what I wanted to I suppose exploit in a way and um, it started from there, really. I saw that there was the gap in the market, and I just went for it. I don't know the exact figures of how many are in Dublin, and like they're popping up all over the country as well. Like The title of this podcast is What the Feck is Going On. Like What the Feck is going on with that? It really did explode overnight. It was one of these things that three years ago you'd walk around town, and the only donuts available were from Super Value. It's what's happening and it's what consumers are demanding. So it's just us bakers keeping up with trends. Are you concerned with what's been called now peak donut, right? So essentially there are so many donut shops that, you know, the market is kind of saturated. So obviously you've got to keep in the mix and keep doing new things and keep it fresh and all that, I understand. But does that concern you with the amount of them popping up? It must kind of surprise you as well. For me, I always believe that quality will reign through anything and that it will always come out on top. So if you have a good product and there is 10 different imitators out there, the good ones will always shine through. And there will always be a place for a donut market. Um, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. I go to London a lot to visit friends and having lived there as well, I kind of come back inspired from what I see there. So the last time I went over, I was kind of concerned when I was seeing all these donut shops popping up and I was thinking to myself, oh my God, like how am I going to compete with this? And then when I went over to London, you know, in a square mile, you could have 40 say third wave coffee shops and you kind of wonder how the hell do all of these coffee shops compete with one another when they have the same business when they're selling the same product and it's because each one offers something different so in Dublin all the different donut producers out there they offer something different so you know you can have a group of friends that say oh my god x is my favorite no y is my favorite z is my favorite that's because each one of those businesses offers something different that that particular customer enjoys so I have a very niche market in the sense that I have a very traditional donut but with very um, eclectic flavours. And then to kind of get into the psyche of your customer, right? Mm-hmm. do you think there's, although they're delicious and amazing and a treat for everybody, do you think there's an element of trendiness to it as well? 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the market is driv- driven by trends. And if it wasn't for customers demanding different trends, then you know we'd, we'd be losing out. So I do. I have to listen to my customers, hear what they're saying, hear what they want, and try and make that fit with my model and with what my uh, mantra is about. Okay, and then talk to me about social media. Like, I mean, as soon as I put in, you know, Dublin donor companies, yours comes up. Like, how important is that? And, and the reason I'm sort of following on from the trendiness question is that I suppose there is a trendiness in getting this fabulous looking donut that's kind of quirky, kind of unique, but unique flavour, and then lashing it up on social media, Instagram or, or, or Twitter or whatever. Like, is that really important for your business? Is it a big part of it? Absolutely. I mean, my, my target market are very, um, they're heavy social media users. Um, I'm a big fan of Instagram. You know, I enjoy it. It's a pastime for me. And there's nothing wrong with taking a picture of what you're eating or where you're eating it and putting it up on, online. And it's, again, it's, it's to match the consumer trends. Um, they, they kind of go hand in hand. But it's great for reaching my target market. It's definitely reaching out to my customers, um, it's especially Instagram users. I find that Instagram is the most popular um, platform for me, so that's where yeah. I focus on most. You know, if you look up Instagram, I like put in donuts, like the amount of them is just... It's incredible. But to get back really briefly, I'm not going to keep it long, but in relation to where this all began, because ultimately I want to kind of come to a conclusion of it. I know you're in business and you just want to sell donuts and you're not massively interested in the origin of it, but you have an interesting story because you were in San Francisco and the trend seemed to begin in America. And we know from the Simpsons, from all the donuts, you know, the cops and the donuts and whatever. So it started there. So, like, is it a trend over there that's sort of coming over here? No more than the burritos thing, no more than whatever. Like, there's this trend. I read somewhere that goes from America to London to Dublin. Like, does that make any sense to you? It does make sense. But I think in America, donuts are a culture um, because they've been in America for so long. And they've become part and parcel of the culture that you grab a coffee and a donut or a box of donuts on your way to work. Um, with Dublin, I think it's more of a trend because our culture of working, of our working hours and things like that, it, it doesn't really facilitate that to become part of culture. Uh, we're more interested in just the coffee on the go and into the office and then maybe having something in the office when we get there. Whereas Americans, they're early risers, they're up in the morning, they have time to, they have leisure time before they start work so they can fit that into their day. Talk to me very briefly about events. They're big business for you, right? Not the kind of single buyer. There are events, parties, weddings. Is it going into that? Huge amount of weddings, but a lot of corporate events and we do a lot of bespoke events. So a client might come to us and say, we're promoting this brand and we want you to use this product as part of the donor. So we try and incorporate that in. We'll either take the idea of the product and incorporate it, or we'll use the product. So I do a lot of work with tea and whiskey. So any whiskey flavors I make will be tea and whiskeys. Last week I had a client that were promoting Magnum ice creams. So we did a really, really rich vanilla cream with a huge shard of chocolate, like the kind of chocolate that flakes off the Magnum when you bite into it. So that's we do bespoke. We like anything is a challenge, and we're up for anything. So that was Hilary Quinn, owner of the really successful Dublin Donut Company. And next, I spoke to a really, really interesting guy. And his name is Michael Crondall. And Michael Crondall has literally written the book on donuts. His book is called The Donut, History, Recipes and Lore from Boston to Berlin. I rang Michael on Skype. We had a quick chat and here's how it went. Well, donuts as fried dough has been with us, you know, ever since people figured out that they could fry things. Um, but the donuts originally called donuts come from uh, the United Kingdom, specifically from uh, 
it seems Hertfordshire, where they were a local specialty, and they were little nuts of dough um, that were fried in kind of the 18th century, as far as we know, um, maybe earlier. These get introduced into New England because much of the immigration from England at that point comes from that neck of the woods, which is sort of northeast of London, and become an American specialty, and here they're known as doughnuts and also various other things, fry cakes and so on. Um, eventually, Americans take what is a yeast or a kind of an enriched bread dough and start using some sort of chemical leavener, so baking powder and things like that, or the predecessors, rather, of baking powder. And the problem with a baking powder leavened pastry that you fry is that it blows up very quickly. There's a lot of sugar in it, typically, and the inside doesn't cook. So somebody somewhere along the way somewhere in the 1820s, 1830s, figured out that if you knock a hole out of the middle, it'll cook more evenly. And so you get this, you know, torus shape, this lifesaver shape showing up kind of in the 1820s, 1830s in the United States. Mind you, having said that, there's lots of fried pastries around the world that are also that shape. So, you know, great minds think alike. So how did donuts become so popular in America? Well, donuts up until, let's say, the First World War, it's a little bit earlier than that, but sort of in early, 19, early 20th century, are really a New England specialty in the United States. Um, they're very much associated with, you know, the Boston area and, and Connecticut and places like that. Um, during the First World War, uh, the Salvation Army picks up the use of donuts as a kind of a morale booster in the trenches. And... Donuts are widely fried in um, on the Western Front by the Salvation Army, distributed to the um, the doughboys, which incidentally has nothing to do with donuts, but they were called doughboys. Um, they come back home, and I'm simplifying somewhat, but um, it becomes kind of a national phenomenon. Donuts become a national phenomenon, and you begin to get uh, national chains that. Um, make donuts. Specifically, you get something called the American Donut Corporation, which comes up with all these gizmos that will automate automate the frying of donuts. And the thing about the gizmos is that they make, they're good at making baking powder donuts, that is, you know, artificially leavened donuts. They don't, they can't do, um, they can't do yeast donuts. So this idea of the cake donut versus the yeast donut, the cake donut uh, becomes much, much more popular than it had been previously. And you eventually, by the 1940s and the 50s, get these national chain like Dunkin' Donuts, where originally donuts were kind of associated with home baking and home cooking, turn and, and very regionally based, turn into something that is associated with kind of the working class in the United States. And by the 1950s and 60s, donuts are kind of a working class fixture. And this is where you begin to get a, the American myth of cops and donuts, where, you know, cops are supposed to like donuts particularly and, you know, will go out of their way to get a good donut. So, I mean, donuts are very much of a cultural fixture in the United States. And my theory about this, in part, has to do with sort of the American myth of the land of plenty which is that in Europe, traditionally, donuts, whatever you want to call them, Krupfen or, you know, fry cakes of various kinds, beignet in France, were always associated with specific holidays, mostly with, um, um, with, um, with carnival 
and they still are in, for example, Germany uh, and parts of France. But they were kind of a once-a-year thing. They were, you know, um, what you ate to celebrate before the fast of Lent. And, of course, in the United States, because you have a bunch of um, Puritans coming here with this stuff, you know, they don't believe in Lent. But they seem to believe perfectly fine in overeating. So in the United States, this kind of special holiday treat becomes an everyday kind of a thing. Okay, so we've had such an explosion in donut shops, particularly in Dublin. But these are high-end donut shops, right? Hipster donuts. Absolutely, hipster donuts. And they look fabulous, by the way. I think that's the critical point. I think it's the looking fabulous that's absolutely critical because of social media. That social media rewards pretty, right? So if you can put it on Instagram, it'll sell. Um, you know, imagine brown stew. Brown stew is not going to maybe be a new fad because you can't photograph the damn thing. But surely, Michael, social media can't be the only reason why donuts have crept into the Irish culture, for example. Well, I think I think that's definitely true. Uh, but one of the main things that I thought was interesting in, I guess, the 1990s when the whole cupcake thing happened, um, that was pre-social media, right? So we can't blame Facebook and Instagram on cupcakes. Um or vice versa, I guess. We can't blame cupcakes on Instagram and uh, and Facebook. But what did start to happen, simultaneously with cupcakes, you had the phenomenon of macaron. So these French, you know, sandwich cookies. And they both kind of happened at the same time, but they happened at a different level. When it comes to the cupcakes, cupcakes in the United States are very much associated with childhood. And in my mind, it was a generation that was coming of age that had this kind of inf- – that had been sort of um, – I guess you would call them millennials now, but at that point they were sort of teenagers still, um, who had grown up with a lot of childhood tastes. So whether it was mac and cheese or, you know, those mini burgers. I don't know if the sliders ever made it to Dublin, but there was a sort of a slider fad in the United States, which are basically baby hamburgers. Um, so they were all, and you know, all these sort of like alcoholic milkshakes. That was sort of a trend. And I think cupcakes um, were part of that. But cupcakes even more were associated with a specific TV show, which is Sex in the City. And Sex in the City was huge internationally. Uh, Macaron, on the other hand, were kind of this aspirational thing that happened, particularly in Japan and Korea, but also later on in China, where Asia was kind of looking to the West for in a way of, you know, a certain class differentiating themselves from everybody else. But I think those phenomena in some ways were different from what we've been seeing over the last decade, which is something that is much more driven, that really is driven by an incredibly speedy um, distribution of media. And to give you an example, a donut example, there was a guy in New York who came up with something called a cronut which was basically a fried croissant. Yeah, we had that here. Right. And he came up with them, and I'm going to get the year wrong, but I want to say 2015, but it might have been 2014, um, in the summer. And I was working on my donut book at that point, and I get a note a year later from someone who's just been visiting Machu Picchu in you know, Peru, mm-hmm. sending me a picture of a place selling cronuts. So this, 
speed of the distribution of this is just phenomenal. It used to take, you know, when it comes to when it came when it was um, um, cupcakes, it took about a good decade for those to kind of, you know, get from New York to Vienna. Those cronuts, six months. So I think there is a kind of a, we've always had fads with us. We've always had trends. But what's happened now is that they're almost instantaneous. So it's amazing to hear from you how deep-rooted, I suppose, donuts are in American culture. But the thing being talked about in Ireland at the moment is something called peak donut. That there are so many donut shops and bakers at the moment that I suppose you could say like the cupcake, the boom, may come to an end soon. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because, I mean, how many cupcake places do you now have in Dublin? And I bet you had a lot more 10 years ago. So to get to the bottom of it, it's that food trends travel now at a far greater speed than ever before, and social media is driving that speed. The, the rapidity of its introduction also means that it will rapidly get replaced by something else. You know, it, it's, the speed happens at both ends, right? People, because people will get tired of seeing, you know, how many pictures of donuts with bacon on them they really want to see. Okay. But I do want to think, yeah, just, there was one yeah, thing yeah. I did want to mention about sort of the, yep. the deep roots of the, of the donut in the United States. I think you're right. I think it is rooted here. And I think that it's, whereas it's trendiness in Europe and um, less in Asia, oddly enough, because there's more of a, donuts took off in Asia with the big chains. And so, you know, Mr. Donut, for example, is a huge presence in Japan and has been since the 1960s. But in Europe, I think donuts are very much associated with America and American things and Amer- this kind of American hipster culture, you know, with the tattoos and the cocktails and the, and the coffee bars and all that sort of stuff, the beards. Um, but in the United States, the reason I think donuts took off so much is because they're one of the few sweet foods that are associated with men. Um, donuts are an equal, sort of an equal gender food, um, whereas cupcakes weren't. Cupcakes were very much of a female thing. Mm. And donuts, because they were long associated with kind of working class America, have these street creds. So they have a credibility, even when you're charging, you know, for four dollars for that like weird lavender donut. They still have a kind of street cred that other kinds of foods don't have, which allows them to get away with things that um, perhaps other foods don't. I mean, it's sort of like whiskey. You know, you, you can be a hipster whiskey producer, but you can't be a hipster. I don't know sparkling wine producer. You know, you don't see a lot of hipster sparkling wine out there. You see hipster booze because it is on some level, it is on some level associated with the male um, in the United States, which I don't think is true in Europe. Um, donuts, at least in Central Europe, donuts are an equal opportunity, you know. They're, uh, they're without gender. What a fascinating guy. And by the way, if you Google Michael Crandall, he's not only an expert in food and donuts and so on, he's actually a really talented artist as well. So, a man of many talents. Okay, so we're getting there, I think. Lots of answers so far as to how this whole donut craze happened. So next, I spoke to Judy Baker, 
and Julie Baker works in marketing and PR for the Rolling Donut. And the Rolling Donut is very famous in Dublin because it started back in the 70s uh, with a guy called Michael Quinlan and he set up a rolling kiosk which went around selling hot fresh donuts. He then located in the Dandelion Market in Dublin then he got a lease on O'Connell Street in a kiosk there in 1978, which is very well known. If you ever walk down O'Connell Street, it's right there on the Gresham side of O'Connell Street. And it's very famous and very popular as well. His daughters, Lisa and Amy, have now taken up the reins of the company and they've made a real big brand out of the Rolling Donut and they've opened more shops. And they recently opened a shop actually in my local area in the Liffey Valley Shopping Centre, which is just out the door. Well, there's not really a door to it actually because it's sort of a kiosk also in the middle of the shopping centre. But it's really popular I got one from there recently actually and I must thank Julie Baker by the way she did give me one of their Coco Loco donuts which I had which was amazing it's like a ring donut with a nut in the hole and it's got coconut sprinkled all over the top of it and it's got kind of a custard cream in the middle of it and it's luxurious and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful I sat down with Julie Baker in the downstairs of their South King Street store and South King Street is just opposite the side entrance to St Stephen's Green Shopping Centre it's on the same road as the Gazy Theatre and it's a prime location just off Grafton Street and we went downstairs into that particular shop and we had a chat and I asked Julie what she thinks is the reason for the donut explosion I suppose like people are kind of just probably a bit sick of going into a shop buying a chocolate bar for their sweet treat it's something different started off in America obviously and donuts are really big there like with Dunkin Donuts and Krispy Kreme and it just kind of transitioned over here and people are like it's, I think with the cu- it started with cupcakes really like something something a bit different rather than just going into the news agents and buying a chocolate bar and I think it's come from cupcakes to donuts and I suppose um it's using like all of these different, like a huge variety of flavors, and also people. I think it's like a gift, gift thing as well. Like a lot of people like to give boxes of donuts and stuff rather than say like a bouquet of flowers and that kind of thing. That's why I think it's gotten really, really big. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and it, it, talk to me then about social media because what I've learned over the time doing this as well is that social media plays a massive part uh, in the sale maybe of donuts. Uh, right in saying that, so like, talk to me about Instagram, Twitter, the whole shebang, particularly Instagram. Okay, this is a great interest of mine because I am the social media person for the Rolling Donuts. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think social media has a huge influence on. Um, it's very it's very difficult to relate sales to actual. Um, to the actual social media platform but it definitely does help I suppose because they're so uh, Instagrammable like the colours and everything you use the variety like it's kind of a bit of an explosion uh, on your phone or on your laptop of colour and um, just really like you want to um, you want to portray your brand as like a real mouth-watering treat and I really think that uh, social media is great for that um, I think for us Instagram works really well um, because of the because it's pictures I find Facebook is better for kind of information we're opening up in wherever we're doing this kind of deal today but um, I do think that Instagram is definitely one that is really really good for this kind of business and like you know Instagram originally like got so big because of food pictures you know and all this kind of foodie culture so so there must be an element of that then in the in the baking of them because you know what I mean like it's not although taste is, is paramount I would imagine like from a baking point of view they're like listen how many colours because like I was upstairs 
and just explain to people we're downstairs in, in the Rolling Donut on South King Street. Um, but I was upstairs on the red velvet and like yeah. the chocolate stuff and the cocoa, loco, whatever yeah. it's called. Like they're beautiful colours and all that. So is that can taken into consideration in the baking? I suppose like any cake or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose like if you looked at, I'd say, our, uh, the pictures that we're tagged in on Instagram, a lot of it is like the, co- the real coloured ones, like uh, the red velvet, the pistachio and salt caramel. So we obviously try to work into uh, the baking part or not the baking but I suppose the confectionery side of it what's going to look really really good like that's what it's all about you eat with your eyes so um, that's really really important to us and how they all look and the different kind of toppings and biscuits and uh, as well as the flavour obviously it's really important um, and then maybe talk to me about the, the biggest sellers and the combinations that you guys have so you might list off a few of them that you have and a few of the best sellers yeah so uh, a couple of the ones that are probably the best sellers are definitely the pistachio and salted caramel um, I think that's really popular because like the uh, salted caramel is all of our um, toppings and fillings are homemade and I think that actually is a big um, selling point for us uh, the other best sellers are Nutella obviously uh, the kids Nutella and Marshmallow the dub which is just a real kind of original uh, which is just a kind of a custard centre with a chocolate ganache on top um, red velvet obviously very very popular uh, with the cream centre um, what about the ba- the bacon one? Because that was actually sent us to, uh, when you, I think when you opened the Liffey Valley store, you sent a box of them into our radio yeah. station. Um, and that was the one most talked about. Is that important yeah. too? Yeah, that is definitely important. People often come in and they like whisper, can I get the maple bacon? Because they're kind of embarrassed about yeah. it, but it's actually delicious. And like, I kind of like to market that one as a more breakfast style. But uh, that's something that Lisa saw uh, when she took a trip to London, I think. Um, and just like, it's, it is very very popular if we took that off the shelves people would be going nuts because it's just so unusual and people buy it because they're curious about it that's Mm. kind of the main thing and then they taste it and they're like wow Uh, okay and like it's been written about before I read a piece recently researching this and the words peak donut comes into play right so I know you don't want to hear that because you're in the game but like is there a danger or a worry in your minds and I know you've probably got to keep it fresh all the time but is there a worry that maybe it could go out with an other I suppose fads you could call them food fads if you like yeah so I suppose we saw the same thing like you're talking about happen to cupcakes and like they're not that popular anymore so that is always the worry but I suppose the way what, how we view it is because there's such a tradition behind it we have been st- we're still standing after whatever 40 years so I don't think hopefully it's not going to happen to us but the way that I think to keep it fresh is just keep making new flavours keep getting talked about like that um, and I suppose appealing to your customers and listening to the market as well as to what's happening and new products too so hopefully we'll start looking at something like that and I think with us the vegan donuts have been a real kind of um, push us pushed out the boat a bit to um, separate us from other donut companies in Dublin because they're really really popular as well and it's a huge vegan market you'd be surprised <laughs> really yeah it actually is very popular uh, like we sell every donut vegan donuts every single day and um yeah, like they're really talked about and especially on our social media, um, the vegan donuts are just like vegan people <laughs> tend to be very good at photography as well and they're just really um, being shy about it, so it's great. 
And then just to sum up, so you think, okay, taste, 100%. We know that. I've tried the donuts. They're amazing, right? Uh, But like from where it started in America, like is it sort of a cultural thing that begins in America? And like a guy I spoke to who's literally written a book, it's called Donuts, uh, Dublin to Berlin, it's called. And he talks about how trends do happen and they move from country to country, Mm -hmm. but it's happening at such a massive speed at the moment because of social media. So if I'm to kind of answer my own question, it's come from... It's it's a cool thing. It's a taste thing. Yeah. It's a lovely gift, and it's very good for social media. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head there, really, with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the answer my question. So, uh, listen, Judy, thanks a million. Really appreciate it. So that's it for the first What the Feck is Going On episode. I hope I've answered some questions on the explosion of donut popularity in Ireland. Thanks so much to Hilary and Michael and Judy for talking to me. Thanks a million to you for downloading and listening to this podcast as well. You can email me, whatthefeckpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter and it's at whatthefeckpod. And by the way, if you have any suggestions for any subjects that you want me to explore and try and answer what the feck is going on with it, well, please get in touch with me on those various platforms. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll have the next one up soon, I hope. Hold up. 